Welcome to the Minister's Ordinary Conversation, a podcast dedicated to equipping and encouraging pastors to be radically ordinary theologians for the good of their churches and the glory of God. My name is Jeremy Jessen, and I am your host. Today, I want to talk about the pastor theologian. This will be the last episode for this season. I will be releasing one more bonus episode that will be a book review podcast. But um, in terms of regular content, this will be the last episode of the season. So thank you for joining me as I've kind of ventured into this world of podcasting. Um, And for the past 12 episodes, I've tried to kind of lay out the direction I want to see this effort go. And so I appreciate you coming along with me um, as I have tried this. But I want to end by defining the pastor theologian uh, more formally and kind of breaking down that definition. And then next season, I'll spend a lot more time going into the details of what that looks like with different examples and um, support from scripture and church history and things like that. But I wanted to make an attempt at a definition to close out this season so that it could um, help us in the future and help kind of encapsulate what I've been trying to do with this podcast from the beginning. But here's my uh, definition, my attempt at a definition, rather. A pastor theologian is a biblically educated, theologically grounded intellectual who makes disciples by teaching the local church and engaging the public square. So let me say it one more time. A pastor theologian is a biblically educated, theologically grounded intellectual who makes disciples by teaching the local church and engaging the public square. So let's break that definition down a little bit. First, we need to look at the idea of being biblically educated. Now, by this, I mean that um, seminary training is certainly recommended, but is not required. What has to be accepted at the outset of this is that preparation matters. You as a pastor theologian need to study. You need to prepare. You need to uncover biblical languages. You need to look at theology, systematics, biblical theology, practical theology, ethics, philosophy, all of it. You need to prepare. And so, um, again, seminary training is recommended for that, but it's not required for that. But a, a good amount of study is going to be required of you. And, and while um, certain things you won't necessarily need to be a master in, you will need to be a master in the scriptures. Biblical mastery is required. You know, a seminary degree is not required, but biblical mastery is. So you are to be the best at the Bible. You're to be the one who knows the scriptures well. And so um, that's the first piece of this. You need to be biblically educated because at the end of the day, if you're going to be a pastor theologian, the parameters of, of that office are biblically defined. So you need to be biblically educated. Number two, theologically grounded, a biblically educated, theologically grounded intellectual. So theologically grounded just simply means you need to have a confessional identity. So understand your own confessional identity, what you believe about various topics. And so, again, I would go into a kind of systematic theology in, in terms of the categories of these, of these things. So bibliology, theology proper, soteriology, ecclesiology, things like that. So the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, eschatology, the doctrine of the end times, however you're going to 
um, approach those things from the scriptures, how, how, what, what you believe the scriptures are teaching on those different topics, you're going to be able to, and need to be able to establish your own confessional identity. And if you're in a denomination, for example, I'm in the Southern Baptist convention, um, you need to know your denomination's identity. So what confession does your, um, denomination, um, you know, subscribe to what, what is their confession of faith? So for the Southern Baptist convention, it's the Baptist faith and message 2000, or for some reformed Baptists, it's this, it's the second London confession of 1689. So things like that, like what is your confession of faith? And so you need to be theologically grounded in that, understand and understand well the doctrines that your, your denomination subscribes to, or that, that you would subscribe to personally. And it's, it's important that if, if your if your um, theological beliefs personally don't don't match with a denomination, um, then then you're going to need to realign yourself in, in some cases. Uh, for example, if you believe in pedo baptism, then the Southern Baptist Convention is probably not for you. So you're gonna have to look at those those topics and understand them and be able to be grounded theologically in those beliefs. Um, also, you need to be an intellectual. Number three, an intellectual. So a biblically educated, theologically grounded intellectual. Now, this is very important that we understand this, this role because the life of a pastor theologian is the life of the mind. Much time is spent and should be spent, I would argue, in reading and writing, engaging with big thoughts, big concepts, big topics. So you don't need to be employed as an academic to be an intellectual, nor do you need to publish academic material to be an intellectual, but deep thought rather, well researched and reasoned deep thought makes one an intellectual. And so it is the life of the mind. And so as a pastor theologian, you're going to need to get used to and indeed um, learn how to be um, a well-researched and well-reasoned thinker as you um, produce material both for your church and for the public square. So Number four, a disciple maker. So you are a biblically educated, theologically grounded intellectual who makes disciples. So disciple making is the aim of our charge. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul says the aim of our charge, the, the goal of our instruction is love, love for God, love for neighbor that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so the entirety of our being we're, we're teaching and we're training others to love God and love their neighbor. And that's the aim of our instruction. And so we're, we're disciple makers by our teaching and the, 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 the curriculum for our teaching, the equipment necessary to carry out the pastoral task of, of teaching is the scriptures, second Timothy three, 16 through 17, right? That all scripture is inspired by God and, and it's, it's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, rebuke, training, a uh, correction rather, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work, may be complete and perfect or mature um, equipped for every good work. So the man of God language there is referring to more of the understanding of the prophet in the Old Testament, the man of God, the one who is speaking on behalf of God. And so the preacher in the New Testament really in insofar as he is connected to the prophetic ministry um, and to some degree the scribal ministry of the Old Testament that you see in Ezra 
um, and in the prophets and elsewhere, like you, you see this man of God language, the equipment that the man of God needs to communicate is the scripture. So we are speaking the words of God. We are declaring the, the scriptures to do what that teaching that the, the, the aim of that teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. What is the aim of that? That, that people would love God and their neighbors. Well, that they would be the kind of Christians who would grow, go on to spiritual maturity as Colossians 1 29 would would tell us we're we're teaching and proclaiming Christ that we may present everyone mature, grown up in him. So disciple making is our aim. And the means of that aim is uh, number five, teaching. We make disciples by teaching the local church. So the primary skill required for an elder, and, and in fact, the, the character qualities that are listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are indeed all character qualities. One of the only skill requirements in that list is able to teach, that, that an elder is able to teach. And so teaching is a primary skill required for an elder. And there are multiple mentions of this in Paul's letters in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus alone about the importance of teaching, of teaching right doctrine, rebuking false doctrine. All of these elements are, are central to the office of a pastor. And if, and if you connect that to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 13, especially Matthew 13, 52, when he talks about that the scribes that are discipled for the kingdom, trained for the kingdom, bring out of their store, their treasury, things that are new and things that are old. He is talking about later on replacing the scribes of the, of the, that, that first century that are there, that are there. Um, around the time of his crucifixion, he's talking about replacing those, these scribes with his disciples. These, I will send you new scribes, he says later on in Matthew. And these new scribes are discipled for the kingdom. They are trained to be teachers and like uh, theologians, discipled scribes, or I would say shepherd scribes or pastor theologians for the kingdom. This is what Jesus is laying out in Matthew. I think that's clear in Paul's writings as well. So again, I think this teaching aspect is clear as a primary role of the pastor in the New Testament. Um, Sixth then, so a biblically educated, theologically grounded intellectual who makes disciples by teaching the, the local church, number one, and engaging the public square, Number two. So we're talking about teaching in the local church. Um, I want to, since we've already talked about the aim of teaching, I want to talk about the aim of the local church. And I would encourage you, if you're listening and you're thinking through what it means to be a pastor theologian, you are primarily a pastor theologian for your church, the church that God has called you to pastor, the pastor that church. You are not called to, and I would tell you to resist the temptation to platform, to um, expand your influence to other areas, other churches, other places. Um, you are not called to seek a spot on the lecture circuit or the conference docket. That's not what God has set you apart to do. He has set you apart to pastor that local church. So do so. Uh, pastor that local church. That is where you are sent to teach. So teach that local church. Again, there's a local church focus, but there's a public square impact. And that's what I would uh, point out at the end of this definition, engaging the public square. That means there is um, a responsibility of the things that you are teaching and training. 
your people to be and the ways that you are engaging your people from the pulpit, that is to impact the surrounding community. So you're training your people before you in the church before you to go out and engage the community around them and to do so faithfully, to do so biblically, evangelistically, that people might come to know Christ and then then be established in their faith and then be equipped to go out and engage the community. Like so the cycle of what a pastor theologian is to do, it impacts the local community. But I would also say your voice should engage the surrounding community. We have been called to to engage the community around us, to be a, a, a witness to the community around us, and to impact the community around us. We are, we've been called to build a church, not an ark. And so you are not called to um, huddle um, your, your people away from the evils of the world, but rather to engage the culture around you with, with winsomeness and always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect all of those things are, are true, but you are to train your people to do that. And you as a pastor theologian should be able to engage the community faithfully in whatever platform the Lord gives you. That may mean you just study for your sermon one day at a coffee shop where you get an opportunity to talk to the staff and get to know them by name. And then they know you by name and you're able to have conversations with them and point them to the gospel as you have opportunity. That may mean you, you offer yourself up uh, to a local funeral home, if someone doesn't have a pastor to preach a funeral, that you'll do it, that you'll be uh, available to comfort families or to do something like that. That may mean you go to a local school and you talk to a principal about setting up a teacher appreciation day at the end of the year where you and your church bring pastries and gifts and gift cards and all this kind of stuff for teachers at, at a local public school. Whatever that means, your voice needs to engage the community well for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom. So that that in, that should um, be up, come out of your ministry in the local church as a pastor theologian. So I hope this makes sense. Let me read that definition one more time, just to kind of clarify a biblically educated, theologically grounded intellectual who makes disciples by teaching the local church and engaging the public square. So those things all come together in the office of pastor theologian. And I I appreciate you listening. I would love to hear your thoughts. You can go to my website at jeremyjessen.com and contact me, or you can leave a comment or a review of this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, again, this is the last episode for this season. More is coming. One more book review episode, bonus episode will be coming, um, and more content will be coming to my website. So stay tuned there, and I look forward to our next Ordinary Conversation. Ordinary Conversation.